weeks between Christmas and Lent, uh, which is a varying length depending on when Easter is, but uh, this year we've chosen this theme of deeper together. Uh, it seems to apply to so much of, of what God calls us to in the church, of going deeper in our walk with him, and, uh, but doing it together. Deeper in our relationship with Christ in a variety of areas, but exploring it together. We, we speak often here around uh, about strengthening our sense of community and, and building community. And while uh, doing a meet and greet on Sunday morning or potlucks and social gatherings are, are part of that, they're an important part of that, uh, we know that Christian community goes much deeper than that. We know that authentic Christian community develops when we are uh, experiencing the life-grieving presence of Christ together and talking about it with each other. We know that we grow deeper together when we're struggling together and we're sharing the places where we're, we're feeling some pain and some brokenness over things or, 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 or life is throwing challenges at us that we're not sure we can handle on our own. We find that community is strengthened in those times when we share the burdens <clears throat> together. We find that we encourage each other, even in this word for the year thing, when we talk about the ways in which God is using it in our lives. We're strengthened when we pray for each other. And as we mentioned, it brings us great joy when we know that our children are being prayed for by somebody besides or in addition to us. And that's what's great about Pray For Me. There's still some cards in there. Uh, you might even want to take another one for those of you that feel a special burden for this. We want to make sure everybody's prayed for. But we're strengthened together when we know that that kind of prayer with a deep passion and concern is happening. We go deeper together when we're owning and we're serving the mission and vision of our church together. Our desire and our hope as a staff and as a leadership uh, team is that we grow deeper uh, together. Today we consider growing deeper together as good stewards of all that God has given us, good stewards of, uh, of the resources God has given us. So I have a, a plan now that I want us to each turn to someone near us, and what I'd like you to do is share every little detail about your income, how much money you make, what... <laughs> where your investments are, and then, then if you're not real comfortable, if you could at least tell each other exactly how much money you give the church every year. I think that would kind of get us started. And it's okay if you just want to say a percentage instead of a dollar. You're still laughing. Of course you're laughing, because we never do that. Money's very private. It's very personal, isn't it? We don't talk about money. It's between me and God. And that's true, it is. Or at least it's between me and God and the IRS and the church financial secretary. We want to get credit for everything that we give, right? But isn't it interesting how private and personal it especially becomes in the church? We've noticed this as we've talked about it some, even at our executive board level, that other nonprofits, and you, you give money in other places, I know that, and, 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 and usually with any other nonprofit besides the church, you're, you're recognized for that. You, you get a letter. You get several letters. You always get a letter in December, Right? <laughs> And then you get a letter in January or February that thanks you for how much you gave. In certain organizations, you will end up in a report. Your name will be listed at the gold level, the green level, uh, or perhaps at the lowly black level. I don't know, whatever level you might give. But our, we're recognized. We recognize givers. We recognize people for what they do for all kinds of nonprofits except the church. You don't talk about it in the church, right? <laughs> and there's some good reasons for that. Certainly there are to a degree. But that doesn't mean that we can't talk and encourage each other in the general area of what it means to participate in the life of the church. It does not mean that we can't learn together as followers of Jesus about what it means to be really engaged in a common mission and a hope for our church family and to see what kind of role our generosity plays in that because we know that it does, not just paying the bills, but in terms of empowering a mission that moves outside the building. 
We must acknowledge the generosity of God together. And we must acknowledge together the call of God to be generous stewards of all that he's provided. And so generous stewards is a theme today as we go deeper together. You know, money is just, money is so weird, isn't it? And it's so powerful. It has kind of a neutral power, doesn't it? It has a power to do amazing and great and liberating things. And it has the power to divide and and to make some people feel better than other people. Money is weird and powerful. And sometimes in the church, it's really hard, even in the church, to to fully be all in. I I found a cartoon that kind of illustrates that. (laughs) Sometimes we're just not quite ready to baptize that part either. Money has positive power to do great things, and it also has a dark power that sometimes what it does is it separates and harms. And isn't that usually what it is? That God is in the business of, as we talked about last week, of breaking down walls. God's in the business of of reconciling. And yet things that are dark and evil have a tendency to separate and divide and rank and make us skeptical and fearful of one another rather than united and together. You see, God calls us to a different approach. God calls us to approach where fear and greed are not part of it, but rather generosity is the high value. We can move on from the, uh, the cartoon now. God calls us to where generosity is a high value, where people are more important than things, where trust in God replaces greed and fear. We can learn this. We can go deeper together. And so what I want to look at for a few minutes this morning is this, that our God is a generous God, and he created us to be generous stewards of all he has given to us. And learning what that really means and living it out in the church can take us deeper together if we're willing to talk about it and challenge each other, not with the specific amounts, but in ways to spur one another on to engage with what God's doing. So we're first of all all, going to look at God as this generous God who is the, the first and the best giver. Secondly, we're going to look at what this means about being deeper disciples and putting first things first. And then thirdly, see how that applies to our life together as a missional church where we are pursuing Christ's priorities together. Generous God. We heard it uh, in the scripture. In the beginning, God created all things. We heard in our scripture reading that God created human beings in his image, and God said, look, I have given you, I have given you every seed-bearing plant throughout the earth and all the fruit trees for food, and I have given you every plant, green plant is food for the wild animals, the birds of the sky, everything that has life. And that's what happened, and God looked at it all and said, this is awesome. Well, he said, this is good, but in certain translations it might say awesome. God created things and and gave them. He is a giving God. God created us and gave us all things to eat, all things to manage. You don't have to eat everything, of course, but he gave us everything that we have to eat. And he gave us all things to care for, all his, but he generously generously shared it with us. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people belong to him. Another one of our scriptures for today, the reading was from Genesis 1, but another one I've listed on the outline you might spend some time with is 2 Corinthians 9. And in there, the Apostle Paul says this, God will generously provide all you need, then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who provides seed for the farmer and then bread to eat. In the same way, he will provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. God gives to us and through us then. God is generous with us. And as the first giver, he built that into us when he created us in his image. The scripture says that God created us in his image with, with identity and with purpose aligned with him. 
Back to Genesis 1, it says, God said, let us make people in our image to be like ourselves, said God. So God created people in his own image. God patterned them after himself, male and female. He created them, the image of God. Now, um, there's a lot of theological unpacking to do with this idea of image of God. And obviously, it's not a visual image. We don't look like God. Uh, This is not anything about white beards or what he might look like on the Sistine Chapel ceiling. But when we talk about being in the image of God, we talk about this relational personal side of God. Not personal as in private, but personal as a person. A relationship with a person. God, that's the way God is. God is relational in his very being. The whole triune nature of God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is a a relational being. Let us make people in our image. So we're relational like God. We need to be connected with others and in in union and teamwork with others. But also that image means in the sense of having a will, having a decisive will, and also the ability to reason and to make choices, the ability to love and to feel compassion, uh, emotions, and all of those are parts of the image of God that is imprinted into us. We are all made in God's image. And this is what distinguishes us from the animal kingdom. We are not just the highest form of animal life. We are distinctly different if we have a theological, biblical view because of will and of reason and the ability to love and care. And I know your puppy loves you and your puppy makes really wise decisions about what to eat. But it's different. And also in his very nature, all of these things that God imprints in us with his will, with his, his image is His generosity is very much a part of his nature. We are made to be givers. We are made to be those who give away. We know that life works better when we work according to God's design, when we are relational, when we are loving, when we are doing things that break down walls and pull us together, when we are choosing wisely, and when we are living generously. Life goes better the way God designed it. And it's not just news from the Old Testament and creation, but this generosity comes right down to the gospel too. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the 2 Corinthians text finishes his teaching on generosity with this in 2 Corinthians 9.15. He says all this stuff about giving and generosity, and then he says in verse 15, and thank God for his gift too wonderful for words. Thank God for his gift too wonderful for words. And he's referring to the very best gift, his most generous gift, uh, his son Jesus Christ. Our generosity flows from this generosity. Our giving giving is a response of gratitude for this gift that he's given us of life in Jesus Christ. It is a gift too wonderful for words, says the Apostle Paul. And he has a lot of words to use. This is it, he says. This is the best gift. This is the last gift. This is the the only one, and here with capital O, capital O only, capital O one, perfectly reflecting the image of God our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is the best gift. And we are his followers. If you have said yes to Jesus Christ in your life, if you've made a commitment and received Christ as Savior and Lord, whether it was a one time, once and for all, or it's been a process in your life, if you've come to a place where you say, yes, I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you are in relationship with Jesus, then you are what we call a disciple. You are what we call a follower of Christ. Not just one who believes in God, but a follower who lives a life of faith in him. And this generous God, then, is making you and is eager for you to become a deeper disciple as you trust him and follow him in all ways. So we look now at at deeper disciples. He is making you into a deeper disciple. 
where first things are first, and then there are next things. Some of you know I was, I was gone week before last, and I spent a whole week doing a bunch of reading and study and reflection. One of the books I read was, is called called, <laughs> called, and the subtitle is The Crisis and Promise of Following Jesus Today. The author is Mark Laverton, who um, was a pastor for several years in Berkeley, California, now is the president of Fuller Theological Seminary in uh, Pasadena. And in this book, um, Laverton distinguishes between first things and next things. He says, I couldn't tell you how many times I've had conversations with people seeking God's will, trying to hear God's call on their lives. For a thoughtful and deliberate disciple, this seeking is natural and compelling. It may be approached with a sense of urgency, such as when we're about to graduate from college. What is God's will for my life? Uh, Like graduating from college with no plans. Or in the midst of transitions, such as when changing jobs or making critical decisions. Or in the midst of a... uh, of great pain, such as uh, when caring for parents or children or grieving a loss. We need to be sure about what we're seeking and to what, we're, and to what end we're seeking it. That is why I find it helpful to distinguish first things from next things. First things. If what we're seeking is God's will and call on our lives, the most substantial dimensions of that are already revealed in Scripture, and especially in Jesus Christ. These are the first things that are normative for those who follow as disciples. They are matters of character and faith, of obedience and of influence and of priorities. These are the first things. God's call is that we love God first and our neighbor second, and that by the power of the Holy Spirit, we come to hear the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, or bear the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Without any special guidance from the Holy Spirit, with no anxiety or worry, and with utter confidence, we can daily pursue these first things in our primary vocation. Do you get that? We don't have to decide whether we should have good character or not, or should pursue Christ. These are the first things. Next things, he says, based on these first things, God sometimes has next things. These aspects of our call assume great things, Uh, but then move us in particular contexts of work or ministry, of friendship or marriage. In other words, what kind of job should I have? Who should I marry? Of service, of advocacy, of imagination or analysis. These next things may take the form of jobs, and they often do, or they may be acts of volunteer service. This is where the convergence of gifts, talents, education, opportunity, passion, and more draw us towards jobs or service that can seem deeply rewarding. Next things are not first things, nor vice versa, even though both matter and they're tied together. And he goes on. First things and next things. It reminds me of what Paul says to the Corinthians again in 2 Corinthians, actually in chapter 8, just before chapter 9. He holds up these poor Macedonians. He's writing to these Macedonians who are, are, are in great poverty, And yet they are taking up a collection to give to those who are in great need in poverty in Jerusalem because of persecution. So Paul's taking up this offering, and and he's saying the Macedonians are incredibly generous. He's holding up as an example of generosity, but it's a generosity that flows from first things. And Paul even says that in 2 Corinthians 8.5. He says, and they went beyond our expectations, the Macedonians, having given themselves first of all to the Lord, they gave themselves by the will of God also to us. 
They have their priorities straight, he says. Their first thing was to give themselves to God and then to us. And so now the matter of this offering and whether they should participate in it, this next thing of the offering, has become clear to them because they got their first thing straight. First things for us means, first of all, and most importantly all, being connected to Christ, to be living as the beloved of God. You are the beloved of God. Even if you don't feel very beloved today, God declares that you are his beloved. He has a call on your life to live with him and for him, to love him and to love others. First things are to be connected to Christ, living as the beloved of God, loving God and loving others, and going deeper in Christ as deeper disciples, reflecting God's character in how we live, and especially reflecting his generosity in how we live. The next things, then, are the specifics of your life and just how your generosity will play out. Our generosity is not a measure of amount. It's a measure of our, our motivation and our maturity of our growth in Christ. Today is not about fundraising. I'm not looking for pledge cards. I'm not looking to pay any church bills today. We're fine. But this is about spiritual growth. This is about formation. This is about spiritual formation, which is Christ being formed in us, in our character. This is about growing to maturity in Christ. And it involves learning and practicing many things, but it particularly involves learning and practicing generosity. Learning the art of stewardship, which is of management of the resources God has provided. A sign of that maturity will be seen in our follow-through and our faithfulness. I mentioned word for the year a little bit earlier, and my word for the year is follow. And I I picked this word towards the end of last year. I really felt God leading me toward this word. I had some wonderful study around the word follow where Jesus calls Peter to follow him and stuff. But when I was on that week and I was spending some time in prayer, God made it really clear that for certain areas of my life, there's two words. There's follow and there's another word right after it. And that word is through. Follow through. And when God said that to me, I was deeply convicted. (laughs) I have issues with follow through sometimes. Some of you are going, boy, do you, because maybe you've been the one I haven't followed through with or two. Seriously, I'm convicted in some relationships that, that, that I haven't made that call saying, hey, we need to get together. And I haven't made that call to really set it up. Or certain projects and initiatives that have needed my attention. I feel very burdened in this whole area of racial reconciliation, for example. And so uh, last week to have David here was so encouraging, yet I know that it's, it's not done just because he spoke. I feel a call to follow through. So there's all kinds of areas. And I'm convicted also about intentions. I'm the king of good intentions, which are pretty much worthless unless we follow through on them, right? And follow through really is what Paul's calling these Corinthians to, particularly in the case of this offering for Jerusalem. He said, you guys said you were going to do it, and you've done some, but let's follow through. He commends them for the many areas of of their their growth. He says, you guys really are deep disciples. I've seen your acts of compassion. I've seen your faith. I've seen your service. I see that you truly believe. But then he encourages them to follow through with their generosity. Developing generosity, learning to give is part of growing as a Christian. Ask any long-time follower of Christ. But ask any long-term follower of Christ also if there's ever any room to grow. And we will say, of course there is. There's always places to grow and to stretch and to reconsider the gifts that God has given to us and what he wants us to do with them. The first things of going deep with Christ will make it clear to us what we are to do in terms of the next things in terms of serving him. And we need to encourage each other here. We need to challenge each other together. We, our generous God is calling us to be deeper disciples. And our generous God is calling us to be deeper disciples who join together to support and be a missional 
church. Now, this word sort of uh, entered into our vocabulary, well, several years ago in the church at large, but here at Naperville Covenant when we began a revitalization process about five years ago. And we were told that the goal was to be a healthy missional church, and we were told that the definition of healthy was to pursue Christ, going deeper in Christ, that sounds good, and that missional meant pursuing Christ's priorities, doing, doing what God what Jesus thinks is most important. And so that's what we have been working on. But I thought today might be just a good opportunity to revisit what we really mean by missional. It's a big word. It's a broad term. It's much broader than when we speak of missions in the church. Missional is not necessarily synonymous with missions. They overlap, certainly. But missional doesn't refer just to a a committee. It doesn't just refer to projects that we do. It doesn't just refer to a portion of our budget where there is funding or or trips that we might take where we contribute to a fund. Those are very missional things, but missional is broader than that. And missional also is not to be held separate or distinct from discipleship. Well, we need to get people growing first, and then we'll do missions. They are linked inextricably linked. Missions and disciple might appear in different leaders in the church. They might appear in different places in the budget. But a missional church will tie all of it together. The word missional basically is based on the idea of the, of the mission of God. The mission of God. It comes from the Latin word missio dei, which is mission of God. And the root for that word missio or mission means to be sent. To be sent, S-E-N-T. God, in a sense, is the sent one. The mission of God is that God is, a, God is a God that goes forth and is sent. And it speaks of God's initiative to redeem the fallen world. That's why God came. That's, or that's why Jesus came. That's why God sent Christ. That's why God has set in motion the entire plan of salvation and redemption is that the world might be redeemed. God came to do that in us and through us. God's initiative is to redeem the fallen world. We are the sent ones, too, as maturing, growing disciples. In the language of our own vision statement here, it means that we are being equipped as disciples in order to go make that kingdom difference. I thought of this uh, at our Christmas celebration that we had when our friends from Wyman and Pearl were here in December. As we were putting together and planning, the question was asked, will there be a missional element to this Sunday? And the answer was, oh yes, we're doing bags of hope. And that's very true. That was a very missional element of the day where we put some bags together that the students at Y-Men will will take, and our students are going to gather with them here in a couple weeks to take those to the homeless in North Lawndale. So that was a correct answer. But it was a missional event, too. The bags of hope weren't the only thing missional about that day. Really, the whole gathering, our whole relationship with Y-Men is a missional relationship because it's helping us get a broader view of the world that God loves. It's engaging us in relationships with people where together we are seeing the need for redemption and salvation outside of us. God is teaching us things about ourselves and our relationship with these friends. So did they have a missional element? To me, the whole morning did. (laughs) But yes, it did. Missional is... Aligning ourselves with God's purposes as he works in the world. Of course we're to develop as disciples. Of course we're to grow together and learn more about who God is. Of course we're supposed to develop our knowledge of scripture and our knowledge of how to do certain things like prayer and study and other things like that. Of course we're supposed to build a strong sense of community together. 
Yes, we need to have deep relationships with each other within the church. That is God working his mission in us. But he's working his mission in us in order to work it through us. You cannot separate the two. Or I can't. Pursuing his priorities. His priorities is that people be saved. His priority is that people be redeemed and come back in a relationship with their Heavenly Father. His priority is that we grow to maturity in Christ. His priority is that we achieve a wholeness in our life, a healing in our life, that all the broken pieces put back together in our life. The priorities of God are reconciliation between races, between individuals, between people. The priorities of God are that the truth would be known And lived out. The priorities of God is that the justice of God that is rooted deeply in the gospel would happen. God is a God who is making all things right. That is his mission. And a missional church aligns with that. And generously giving of ourselves, our resources, and our time means pursuing his priorities together. A missional church then is going to be full of generous stewards who embrace the whole mission. I sat down for a meeting this past week with a few people and one of the church leaders in the group who had been out of town off and on a lot recently kind of casually turned to me and said, so what's the state of the church, pastor? And I could have said, fine, or well, it's church, ha, 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 you know. Um, But I I had a long answer. (laughs) What's the state of the church? And I, I loved answering him because I'm, I'm at a place where I'm full of great hope for our church. I believe that we're at a transitioning place, but I see great evidence of a, of a heart for, for good things and, and evidence of a heart for our community outside the doors of our church. And so I began to rattle off things that I thought were important points in the state of our church right now. Actually, I mentioned this, this, this prayer initiative. They had not been here this Sunday that we had folded this out. And so I explained this and I said, it's exciting to see the children who came forward two weeks ago and then to see how people grab those sheets and want to do this. There's some sense that this has great value to it as we pray for children. So I'm, I'm very encouraged by that, that we believe in the power of prayer and we are so deeply concerned for our children that we will commit to pray for them specifically and not just generally. I told them I'm, I'm concerned by a core of, of younger families, of families with young children in our church that have a, have a deep commitment to the church, that they've said they're, they're here, and they have a passion, for, a passion for, for authenticity in the kind of community we build. Not content to stay on the surface level in relationships, but to go to deeper places. And they have a, have a desire to, to make a difference, to, to, to build a strong sense of community here so that we can be more effective out there. There's a, a deep heart for the missional things of God in this group of people. And they are finding their voice and they are gaining influence. And that encourages me a lot. And it challenges me a lot as someone at this stage in my ministry, career, or whatever, to be handing off and being ready to change and do things differently in the church so that the vision of our younger people who are passionate about the things of God can be set free to make a difference. I'm excited about that. I told them I'm excited that we are embracing and learning from our diversity that we see a gradual growth in diversity here and we're willing to learn about it. And we're learning about reconciliation. I told them I'm excited about our, our building plans and scared and concerned and prayerful. <laughs> we're talking about some of the needs of this building and, and this facility. Some of it is really needed. Some, some things have not been updated since the building was built 35 years ago. 
Some things are, are needed to, to, to fit it better to serve our community and to better echo what we value even in this space as people who have a high value in the worship of a holy God. It's a concern that we do it for the right reasons and the team that's been meeting has, has been really wrestling with, with tying it to vision and not just to make it a nicer building. I talked to a consultant from the Covenant this week with National Covenant of Property. He says, yeah, you want to make sure you're not just making improvements to the clubhouse, rather you're trying to make it a better lighthouse. That's a good expression, isn't it? We don't need a cooler clubhouse. We might need a more effective lighthouse, though. And so the, the questions are asking, and I'm excited about that process, that we're not jumping into it and just trying to build a pretty building that more people might be attracted to. I'm encouraged by our leadership team who, who is really getting it. We're, next week we'll have a meeting to kind of update you on where we are. And one of the important things is establishing a nominating committee. If you have any interest in being part of that nominating committee, uh, if you could let me know, or Steve Dahl, our chairman there, Steve Waite, right there in the back. Wave, Steve, there's Steve. Uh, let us know if you'd be interested in being part of a, a prayerful discerning process because the leaders we select now are very important as we move forward because I really do believe that we are in a bit of a transitional time as a church. We've seen some of our traditional programming coming to an end or, or winding down. We have seen some changes in our income as a church in the last couple of years, but as we see some other things happening in the church, we realize that the change in numbers is not so much a, a sign of a dying church, but rather a shifting demographic. You can probably read through some of the lines there, but... Um, I feel that some of the loss of some of this programming is it's a little painful. And yet, I believe that God is ready to do some new things, and I see it and I hear it. Do you know we had a meeting a couple weeks ago to talk about vacation? What is more wonderful than vacation? I love vacation Bible school, and we've done a great vacation Bible school for years here at Naperville Covenant. So we gathered a focus group together a few weeks ago just to ask the question of, what about the summer of 2016? And we did a discernment exercise. Rather than people just sharing opinions, we spent some time in prayer, and individually people wrote down things about who they saw, what they saw happening. Not a single person said, oh, we've got to stick with a, 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 a weekday morning, five-day VBS. There was all kinds of incredible ideas about moving outside the building, about a heart for the children in our community, about doing things much more effective, meeting needs and, and drawing families together. This team was, I mean, I came out of the meeting and went, Wow. God is doing some things here. So we might let go of traditional DBS, and there might be a couple moments of grief, but what if in its place something comes along that's more effective in reaching the community and more effective in growing us as a church? We're here. We're here. We're motivated. I'm full of great hope for our mission together as a church. But it's going to take us working together, especially as we transition and learn to do some things differently. And do some things maybe with a smaller budget and yet with a higher sense of call. Money's not that important. It's important, but not if God isn't in the midst of all of it. It's going to take our, take our working together. It's going to take deepening connections between each other. It's going to mean keeping our eyes on the vision outside the four walls as well as caring for one another. And, of course, it will take our consistent and faithful generosity. we come back as we finish now to the first things. The first thing is Jesus Christ. And I think we need to start at that place before answering any questions about next things for our church, our building, our giving. Answer the first thing of our commitment to Christ. And the question to ask is, have you received the most generous of gifts? Jesus invites us into this life-changing relationship where we then can put these first things first. 
I think secondly, today becomes a time when you can ask if there is, in fact, a growing edge for you in terms of practicing generosity, in terms of your view of your own resources as well as what you see God doing, not only in this church but in other places. I know you give other places. I do too. (laughs) Other places that God leads us and wisdom in the decisions we make about that. But I invite you, especially in this last question here, of how will you pray for and encourage your church as we seek to mature and grow deeper together in generosity? Our God is an awesome, loving God. He has created you as his beloved. He's crazy about you. He never deletes your photos from his phone. You're always there. But seriously, And he has created you in his image as one who loves, one who cares, who decides, as people of character and integrity. And he's created you to people who live out in generosity as well. But together with your sisters and your brothers in Christ in the missional church. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful for this opportunity to press into these issues, Lord. And to see just the the deep value of your scripture, what it teaches us, and the deep value, Lord, of our connections with each other in this church. Some in the room, Lord, are are new to us and just starting to figure it out. Others, Lord, have deep and long history in this church. They have amazing stories of how you've moved and worked. Thank you, Lord, for how you are encouraging us now as we head into the future. We trust you, O generous God, and we ask you to help us to listen well to you as we grow together in Christ. Amen.